following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Hey guys, it's a pleasure to wake up in the morning and figure out what in the world we're going to do together out of the Word of God and how it impacts our life. Uh, Once there were three guys, and they were very good friends from their childhood days, and all three of them experienced a calling for ministry, but their calling for ministry ended up going into three different directions. One became a Presbyterian minister, one became a Methodist minister, one became a Baptist minister, but they kept up their friendship even though their denominations uh, had their different flavors. And one time when they were together encouraging each other and enjoying their friendship, they had this conversation on how in the world do you guys decide how to divide up the offering in the morning, on, a, on a given Sunday. I mean, how do you decide what to keep for your salary and what you, what you give back to God uh, to honor him? And the Presbyterian guy says, well, that's really easy. He said, all, all I do is I draw a line on the floor. I put all the offering money in, a, in one, one offering plate, and then I throw all the money up in the air, and whatever falls on the other side of the line, that goes to God, and whatever falls on my side of the line, that's my salary. And the Methodist friend says, oh, man, oh, man. He says, your theology is so, so big. You need to have some theology in this whole process. He says, so I draw a circle on the floor, which a circle represents eternity. I throw all the money up in the air, and whatever falls in the circle of eternity, that goes to God. And everything that falls on the perimeter on the outside, that goes to me. And the the Baptist guy says, oh, man, you talk about theology being important. You guys have no clue Theology's got to be a reality in some, some kind of important decision like this. So what I do, he says, I take all, all the money in the offering plate, I throw it all up in the air, and whatever God wants, he takes. <laughs> if you need... It <laughs> doesn't really matter. You've got to choose. You can, some, some, somehow you've got to make a decision. And that's, that's really what we're going to be discussing today is this whole business of making choices. Uh, all of us who are men are responsible for huge decisions that not only impact our life, but they impact the lives of other people. And we know that a decision is a necessity at the end of our discussion, our contemplation. And one of the one of the big issues about the whole the whole issue of a of a decision is sometimes we decide with a really poor reason for our decisions. And that's one of the things we're going to be discovering here in the scripture that people are going to be forced to a decision with regard to their eternity and the life that they are living. And Jesus Christ wants very much for that decision to be based upon good processes. But when I think about decisions, we're coming to a point today in Mark chapter uh, 3, and I don't know why I put Mark chapter 7 there. It must be a typo. I'm sorry about that. It's actually Mark 3, and um, this is actually the watershed of the life of Jesus Christ. So you always know that when people have lives that they live and and they constantly build towards something and then there's a climax and then there's a result of that climax of decision-making issues. Well, the life of Jesus Christ comes to a climax here in Mark chapter 3. This is the most important watershed moment in the life of Jesus Christ according to the Gospel of Mark. And it comes down to an issue of a choice. People make a decision. They make a selection And that selection or decision or choice is based upon how they choose to believe in who Jesus Christ is. 
So we've been tracking the life of Jesus Christ up until this point, and we have observed that it's been very deliberate, not in a hurry. Christ was not going to be rushed because he wanted to give the leadership of the nation of Israel, he wanted to give them time to make a very good decision. He wanted them to move to a point where they're going to make a choice based upon good factual information that made good sense of why in the world they chose to go in the direction that they did. I was uh, doing some uh, reading in, the, in, the, in history, and a, and a particular individual uh, historian, uh, Louis Snyder, he identified what were some of the great, great turning points in human history and decisions and choices that were made that changed the course of human history. So he listed the Battle of Marathon, and that's when the Persians got beat up by the Greeks in an unexpected victory uh, by the, the people who knew how to fight and were able to stand against an overwhelmingly large military under King Darius. Uh, he wrote also here that one of the great turning points in human history was the crucifixion of Jesus. And of course, you know that as a historian, they're not always right, even though they always think they are, because right there you realize he got it wrong. It wasn't a crucifixion of Jesus that was a turning point, but it was the resurrection of Jesus that was a turning point. So he missed that one. But he also said that the flight of Muhammad from Mecca to Medina uh, was, was also a huge turning point when Islam had begun, where the Muslims consider Muhammad to have restored the unilateral, original, monotheistic faith of Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and even Jesus. Of course, that's just a pretty biased theological perspective that they have. But again, a historian has to make a choice. And based upon his choice, you could see the kind of reasoning that he had. Uh, he also chose things like the coronation of Charlemagne, which of course was the establishment of Europe over the overwhelming pressure that Rome gave the entire world, thinking that they were going to direct all things for all men. Some, uh, he also put down here the Magna Carta, which I think is a really good choice. It's a document first imposed on King James, first time that subjects limited their authority with regard to their power over individuals. That was fabulous. Well, there's also a great sense where when we look at history, that not only those great events historically really changed and affected the human history because of choices and decisions that were made by people, we also come to Mark chapter 3 and have this huge shift, tremendous watershed because of a choice, a decision that people made and a decision that was based upon reasoning that actually led these individuals down the wrong path and caused Jesus Christ to be a huge lightning rod in dividing people who believed in him or rejected him. So in Mark chapter 3, we have a passage of Scripture from verses 20 all the way down to um, 34. And the, the amazing thing about this passage of Scripture, I know this is really early in the morning, but if you can remember this, you could see that this passage of Scripture is like a sandwich. It has a beginning and has an end that are the same topic. Then it has a, 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 some material in between those two topics. It almost seems unrelated. But they, in fact, are related to the business of how we make choices. So the first part begins with uh, the family rejecting Jesus, and they hear about all the things that are happening in Jesus' life. And then the family comes and after they've heard about all these events taking place in Jesus' life, the Bible says here in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. That's his family. That's his physical family. 
So it's like his half-brothers and his mother, at least, maybe, and maybe others who might have called him relatives, but it doesn't matter how many, but his family, his physical family said to the people, he's out of his mind, and we're here to take him away. So that's the first part. And then we have this great episode of Jesus interacting with the, uh, the leaders of the nation of Israel. And after he engages them, it finishes off again with the same theme that it began in verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. So Jesus responds, and he says, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that this is the watershed of the life of Christ and those who respond and believe in him. All up until this point, Jesus Christ has been introduced by verifiable witnesses to say, this is the Son of God, this is the Messiah. And after that amazing introduction, Jesus Christ validates the testimony of all these very qualified witnesses, and he validates their claim by his words and by his works, the miracles that he performs and the testimony of things that he taught. So his words and his works verified and validated the testimony of all these witnesses. He didn't hurry that. He didn't rush that. And the only time he put his hand up and says, nope, I don't want your testimony, was with regard to the demons who got it right. But because of who they were, Christ did not want any validation to come from the evil side. So now we come to a climax when the leadership of the nation of Israel has the opportunity to make a decision. After the witnesses that they have heard, after hearing what Jesus Christ said, after watching his miracles validate who he was, the leadership of the nation of Israel comes to a decision. They make a choice based upon their introduction and their evaluation of who Jesus is. And their claim is what is really stirring and stunning about this passage of Scripture. Well, let's begin here by this very personal part of being wounded by his family. The crowd gathers and his family come to take charge of him, and this is their conclusion. He is out of his mind. And this is going to introduce the claim by the leadership of the nation of Israel when they say, this Jesus does everything as far as miracles by the power of Satan. Now, if you're here today and you have in your past had a horrible experience with relatives who said something, did something to deeply wound you, and that's part of the baggage of your identity today, Jesus Christ knows exactly how you when Jesus Christ says, hey, I'm your mediator, I'm going to be your voice, you come to me, and I will represent you before the Father. This is because Jesus Christ knows exactly how we feel in some of the worst times of our human experience. When I grew up as a youngster, uh, my, my sister was very, very bright. She was very successful in everything she did academically. Uh, she was followed by my older brother, and he was very successful and, and amazingly uh, a track record of almost perfection when it came to academic issues. And then there was me. And uh, I came after my very successful sister and brother, and I used to just tell my family, hey, I'm creative. I'm sure you're tired of seeing all those A's every time a report card comes in. I just want to show you a little variety. And, and uh, I was the kind of the kid that uh, the family thought, man, oh, man, maybe we should have stopped it too. And maybe all the brains were passed out with the first two, 
and here this kid is just distracted and thinking and contemplating and never really quite getting down to the academics. And uh, when God got a hold of my life uh, in, in, uh, and I, I, I just came before him, just broken, and I said, Lord, whatever you want for me, that's what I will do. And God led me to apply to Baba College. And that was fine, except they send you a form that requires your par- parent's signature. So I remember the day, and after much prayer and contemplation, I brought that sheet of paper that needed my parent's signature, and I, I went to my mom, and I said, Mom, I, I'm going to be transferring from the community college to a Baba College in Oregon, and uh, I need you to sign this, this affidavit giving your approval. And my mom was shocked. I still remember the look on her face. She read this affidavit, and I didn't come from a Christian home. And my mom read it, and she looked up at me, and all she could do was break down and cry. That was my Asian mom who doesn't cry for any reason. And all of a sudden, I realized I made her cry because she saw that her son is going off to Bible college. And she says, why do you want to do this? Can't you at least go off to a university and, and get a get an education that's going to make a difference and give you an income, and then you could do this. Get a real job first. And boy, my mom just would not want to talk to me after that. And I thought, well, I need my signature of my dad. And so I walked up to my dad and says, Dad, I'm, I'm going to be transferring from community college. I'm going to go to Bible college, and I need you to sign this affidavit of your approval. And my dad looked at me very strangely. And uh, when an Asian father tilts his head and looks at you, you know you're in trouble. And then he read the affidavit, and he looked at me, and he just put it on the counter, and he turned around and walked off and didn't say a thing. Now, that day was probably the longest day of my life, and I still think that probably the deep wounds of my life probably go back to what it was like growing up in an Asian home where Christ was not the center, and what it was like to have family that you believed in very strongly suddenly turn their backs on you. Jesus Christ felt that. And he felt this opinion of his relatives that he was physically related to. He is out of his mind. Now you hold that thought there for just a moment. And it's amazing here that Jesus Christ looks at the Pharisees who have come to this conclusion. Now that we've heard all these witnesses, Jesus, and now that we've heard your words and the sermons and the teachings that you have done, and now that we've seen you do all these amazing miracles and even though we know the Messiah is going to come and he's going to heal the blind and make the the lame walk and cleanse the leper, even though we know that in the Bible that that's a testimony of the coming Messiah, we have now come to the assessment that you do all of this by the power of the devil. Now that's a big context of the life of Jesus Christ. And if you understand that, you will grasp more than even people who go to seminary grasp. The life of Jesus Christ is a progression It is a progressive revelation to the point where Christ is giving key people plenty of evidence to assess the situation and come to a reasonable decision. He wants their choice not to be emotional. He wants their choice not to be something that's off the fly. He wants their decision to be learned and based upon factual spiritual information that makes a lot of sense. Well, Jesus Christ hears their conclusion, so he speaks to them in parables, and he basically speaks to them about this whole idea that if a house is divided, it cannot fall. And that's that big famous line that even non-Christians say, if a house is divided against itself, 
it cannot stand. They forget that this is the essence of Jesus Christ giving a commentary on someone's reaction to the gospel. So their conclusion is, Jesus, you do all this, do all these miracles by the power of Satan. So Jesus says, well, if I'm, if I'm fighting Satan, and Satan is the one that you say that, that I'm doing this all by, then Satan's fighting against himself. How stupid is that? Now, Jesus never uses that word because he's trying to use logic to show them how silly their conclusion is. But essentially, he's saying, what a stupid conclusion to come to. And that's the essence of what Christ is teaching us through this lesson. When we make choices, and all of us will, when we make decisions, and all of us will, does our logic, does our reasoning support the conclusion that we are leading to? Or is something else getting in the way? <coughs> but when I think about lousy choices that people make, because really the argumentation is not reasonable, not understandable, but Someone's just being emotional about it, trying to get to a conclusion that they want and saying anything loudly enough and, and trying to overwhelm the audience so that they will not question our decision. That reminds me of these two great posters. So in the, the, the classic theological film, The Princess Bride, the great classic theological film, The Princess Bride, so Montoya says, you keep saying agnostic. I don't think it means what you think it means. So I don't know how you can place this whole concept of doubt of being an agnostic in a statement like this and make it more clever. But the reasoning behind the whole process of the conclusion and the argumentation just makes me laugh. And that must be exactly what many of the angels were thinking when they heard the Pharisees, the spiritual leadership of the nation of Israel, come to this conclusion. We are the learned ones who lead the nation of Israel spiritually. We know what the Bible has to say, the Old Testament And we believe that even though this is what the evidence is of the coming Messiah, we conclude that you are doing this by the power of the devil. And because of their position, because they argued loudly, and because of their personality of dominance, people would say, whoa, whoa, of course that conclusion must be correct. And Jesus is the only one who speaks up and says, well, now let's evaluate your thinking that led you to this conclusion. That's what Jesus does. Instead of just listening to the overbearing conclusion of people in authority, Jesus Christ says, well, I understand this is what you're concluding. Now let's go back and figure out the reasoning that actually shows us that that conclusion is absolutely stupid. And then here's, of course, this great commercial of the, the, most, the most interesting man alive. I don't always say something stupid, but when I do, I keep talking to make it worse. Now, that's, that's a great illustration of what the Pharisees are doing here in Mark 3. Gentlemen, if we want to be men who have a warrior's heart, we want to be godly men who are spiritual men, we want to reach conclusions without being stupid in our logic and our reasoning. Will we make choices based upon faith in who Jesus Christ, our Savior, is? We want to glorify him in everything we do, no matter what we think, no matter what we say, no matter even in the normal daily routine issues like eating and drinking, we want to glorify God through this whole process because of our belief in Jesus Christ. Some of you gentlemen are going to be facing great decisions today that are going to impact the lives of people. Are they based upon the, the choices that come from values that you have embraced because you are a follower of Jesus Christ? 
or will we compromise because we know that a decision is where we should be going because of that's what the boss wants, that's what makes most practical sense, and I'm going to give some reasoning, and people won't hear the reasoning. They're just going to listen for the decision. We should be men in pursuit of Almighty God, and all the values that determine the course of my routine are going to channel into decisions that impact the lives of other people as well as myself. This is a lesson about making choices and a choice that is based upon good reasoning. The choice not to believe or not put their faith in Christ, not acknowledge who he is, that's everything that covered what the Pharisees were thinking about. So Jesus Christ says, boy, if you're going to go inside and you're going to fight against Satan, like get rid of these demons that as I have done, get rid of some of the, the, the awful physical results of demons inflicting pain upon the lives of the people who are your citizens. You can't beat up these guys unless you first take them out of the picture. And that's what Christ is saying. All sins and blasphemies will be forgiven, but blasphemy or making common, taking something special, making it common, that's what blasphemy is. You take what Jesus Christ has accomplished through the power of his spirit, and you say that's nothing. In fact, that's less than nothing. That's the power of Satan being demonstrated there. That's why it's called blasphemy. You take something precious and you make it common. You insult it by the way in which you conclude or use it. This is the only sin that will never be forgiven. Well, you notice that that phrase, the unpardonable sin, does not appear in Scripture. That was a title given to this section of the Bible. But what he's referring to was a historical moment when the Pharisees chose on behalf of the nation of Israel, we will not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, there's a parallel to that because people always ask, well, can the unpardonable sin be committed today? Well, no, not from a historical interpretation standpoint but from the perspective that unbelief or choosing not to believe in the power of God, that is, in fact, a parallel of what happened here so long ago. Well, the most amazing thing that I think it comes up is a spiritual connection for all of us. When we think about making choices because of spiritual impressions and values that we hold, those choices become the summation of how I've lived my life. And that's what happens here when he turns back again to the family and Jesus Christ, who's been rejected by them, they say he's out of his mind. So Jesus Christ says, well, I have really no relationship with you as family because relationship with me is not based upon blood or physical lineage. Relationship with me is based upon a choice by faith. That's why he points to his disciples, these who have believed in who I am. It is these individuals, these individuals, they are my family, not because of blood. The Pharisees were all saying, we're safe because we can trace our lineage all the way back to Abraham. And Jesus Christ saying, no, it's not based upon physical lineage, it's not physical connection. That's not what makes you safe. It's your choice based upon faith in who I, Jesus, the Messiah, who I am. One of the most amazing things about uh, this whole business of whether or not we can make choices based on faith is greatly illustrated by Don Smith Jordan, who in 1985 went through one of the most horrific experiences that a human being could ever have. She lived in South Carolina. They got news on May 31st that her younger sister, Sherry, had been kidnapped. And in the kidnapping, the entire state gravitated and galvanized together 
It's been the largest manhunt in the state of South Carolina to date, looking for little Sherry, who at that time was 17 years old, just a few days away from high school graduation. And he, the the kidnapper who took Sherry, uh, allowed her to write a letter to her family because he told her that he was going to kill her. And she just said, can I write a letter to my family before you take my life? And amazingly enough, he let her write a letter. And this is what she wrote in that note to her family. Knowing that she's about ready to be killed, only 17 years old, knowing that her, her family, her friends and relatives in the entire state were going through this horrific moment of the horror that she was experiencing, she wrote this. Please don't let this ruin your lives. Just keep living one day at a time for Jesus. Remember, everything works out for good to those that love the Lord. Some good will come of this. Sherry wrote that note, and soon after that, her kidnapper murdered her. But no one knew that she had been murdered for that at that particular time because the kidnapper called Sherry's family, Don and her parents, called them every week for a month and taunted the family and said all the things he was going to do to hurt little Don, even though she was already dead. And they just tormented the family with these phone calls for a month before she was ever cap- before he was ever captured. By the time the authorities had him in hand and they suddenly realized that Cherry had been deceased and gone home to be with the Lord for, for, for over a month, there was just this horrible feeling that Don experienced of wondering how in the world she as an individual and follower of Jesus Christ, how she could not hate someone so much. How in the world could she ever be relieved of that horrible feeling toward this man? The more she studied in the scripture and the more that the family prayed together and talked through this whole thing, they slowly made their choice to a realization that forgiveness wasn't a feeling. Forgiveness was a choice. And the choice was possible because of what Jesus Christ meant to them. Forgiveness was a choice, and it was a choice made possible because of what Jesus Christ meant to them. They came to terms with this whole business, and the very next year, Dawn was actually able to pull herself together in such a way that she won Miss uh, South, South Carolina that very next year and went on to, to be very competitive on a national run for Miss America. And her notoriety around the nation became overwhelming because of her great musical talent and all that she had gone through. And she shared her testimony about this horrific experience and what it was like to go through that journey to learn to forgive in the name of Jesus Christ. And then who would ever know that five years after that horrific experience when Dawn was enjoying this tremendous notoriety and and God's restoration in her life, that she would receive a letter from the penitentiary five years later. And the letter was from that man who murdered her sister and taunted the family for so long. And he wrote to Don and the family, and he said, I'm so sorry for what I did to you and your family. I'm on death row, as you know, but here I've come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I hope in some way you can forgive me for that horror that I brought to you and your family. 
Don re-experienced the whole business of hatred again, thinking to herself, do I really want that man in heaven with us for eternity? And she had to go through the entire process again that forgiveness was a choice, not a feeling. And the decision to want to make sure that she would choose well before God was based upon who Jesus Christ was and what Jesus Christ meant to her. And she forgave that man. And who would ever have known that Don after that, five years after that, five or seven years after that, that her husband would make some choices that dissolved her marriage, leaving her as a single mom. And the welling up again of what it meant to hate someone else and to be so bitter against someone else and to realize this whole amazing grace that she had received in her life because of what Jesus Christ meant to her, gave her a reason to make a good choice to choose forgiveness yet again. Gentlemen, here we are before Jesus Christ in one of the most important parts of the life of Jesus and the watershed of his career and his time on this earth. And he's just asking us very simply, if you think about making good decisions, there's really only one decision we can come to. And that is put our faith in who Jesus is as our Savior. And allow all the values of our life that determine all the decisions and directions that we make to be manifest, to be based upon the fact of what he gave to us, new life in Christ, and gave us values to live by so our choices could always glorify and honor him. One of the best ways that we could ever influence those who are around us, our coworkers, our family members, is that we make good choices based upon the values that we have adopted because we are now followers of Jesus. And because of what he means to us, our choices reflect our love and our faith and belief in him. That very good choice manifests itself in all the choices of our life that we live for others and for his glory. Have a great table talk. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.